the pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's John DePietro on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. It is Monday. It is April 19th. Right now, it is 106 in the afternoon. This portion of the program brought to you by R.E. Coogan and Heating. Call them today. Call Coogie, 732-6562. Plumbing, heating, cooling, helpful, trustworthy, reliable. Their website is recooganheating.com. You can also find them on Facebook. Coogie says, let us into your home. Don't fix it alone. Now, remember, Central Air is a game changer for your life. Call R.E. Coogan and Heating today at 732-6562. Well, let's go back. We are um, following the developments with the Derek Chauvin. This is closing arguments. This is Eric Fisher, the defense attorney for Officer Derek Chauvin in the death, murder of George Floyd. Let's pick it up and uh, dip in a little bit, folks. Officers need assistance and step it up. Get there fast. So you can see again, based on the records, that at 81008, 2010-08, backed up 320 with 330. Right. So now 330 is Officer Chauvin and Tao. They're backing up Officer King and Lane. And you can see Peter Chang respond at 8, 10, and 21 seconds. You hear 320 taking one out. So they're rem- that means they're removing someone from the vehicle at 8, 11, 02. The scene is ultimately... C4, code 4, all clear at 20, 12, 21. So literally, this demonstrates to you a couple of things. How quickly a situation can change from second to second, minute to minute. They went from get there fast, back off. Get there faster because someone needs help. It's clear. The situation is dynamic and it's fluid. They're provided with information that an officer needs assistance. They testified about the sound of a struggle, right? And if you recall, Sergeant Steiger specifically said all of this information would be known to a reasonable police officer. And it goes into and factors into the reasonableness of the use of force. Ultimately, Officer Chauvin and Officer Tao arrive at Cup Foods. Pause this for one second here. Sorry. When we look at Officer, I just have to, to give you a little piece of information. When we look at Officer Chang's video, Officer Chang arrives first. You see the time is... 1-16-33-Z, Zulu, that's Greenwich Mean Time. Subtract 5 from 1 a.m., get you back to 8. So, Officers King, excuse me, Officer Chauvin and Officer Lane pull up. 
816. Go over there. information gathering in terms of this assessment and reassessment of the, again the decision-making process of a police officer right don't come over here where I am officer Chang says go over there they need your help because what what at that point at that precise moment they don't know what's happening over at the squad car they don't know that Officers uh, King and Lane struggled with Mr. Floyd getting him out of the car, that they sat him down, that they stood him up, that they walked over. They haven't seen any of this information, and there's no evidence to suggest that they had. So that doesn't factor into the information. So again, a reasonable police officer, what do they know? And they don't know that. But they're starting to get some indication, hey, go over there, right? Go over there. You can see right at about 8.17, and I apologize for the quality of the picture, Officer Chauvin is arriving and walking up to the squad car. So what a reasonable police officer, what would a reasonable police officer see in this instance? What a reasonable police officer would see could be defined because again, a reasonable police officer has to be aware of his department policies. Active aggression or active resistance. Let's call it active resistance. A response to police efforts to bring a person into custody or control for detainment or arrest, a subject engages in active resistance when engaging in physical actions or verbal behavior, reflecting an intention to make it more difficult for officers to achieve actual physical control. So as Derek Chauvin walks up to this scene, he has all of the information from dispatch. He has all of the information from Officer Chang sending him over. He knows his department policy on the difference between active aggression, active resistance, passive resistance based on policy, training, etc. This is an officer's consideration of, again, the use of force. All of these things factor into it. So what does he see? He sees Officers King and Officer Lane struggling with Mr. Floyd attempting to put him into the car. He hears the words that Mr. Floyd is saying at that point. I'm claustrophobic. I'm a good guy. I'm a good man. I'm claustrophobic. I just had COVID, right? He's hearing this information. He's observing with his eyes. A reasonable police officer is observing this with his eyes and his ears and assessing what he sees pursuant to policy. And what he sees at a minimum is active resistance. Mr. Floyd's not just simply getting in the back seat of the car.
So let's watch. What does Officer Chauvin see when he walks up? This is from his body camera from 8.17 and 21 seconds to 8.18 and 15 seconds. Just shy of a minute. By 8, 18, and 15 seconds, Officer Chauvin has not laid a finger on Mr. Floyd, but he's observing, and a reasonable police officer is doing this. He walks onto a scene, he sees active resistance occurring, potentially active aggression occurring, he has two other officers, he has not intervened. But again, based on the policies and the training that you have seen, what were his options available to him at that time? If a person is actively resistant in the center, distraction techniques, controlled takedowns, conscious neck restraints. Can you clear that one? Right. These are options available to Mr. Chauvin at this point. He has, per his training, these techniques at his disposal. A reasonable police officer would be making these observations. He would observe the white foam around Mr. Floyd's mouth. He would consider the possibility that this person was under the was under the influence of something. Basically, using the information from dispatch. Making these observations, how is he analyzing this? How would a reasonable officer analyze this, and what would be known to a reasonable officer? A reasonable officer would look at the size of the person and assess that person's size in relation to his own size because it's a part of the risk-threat analysis, right, that we've heard about so much. A reasonable officer would know that these are two rookies putting this, off, putting this man in the car. In fact, as the evidence established, Mr. Chauvin trained one of the officers. So a reasonable officer may step back at this point to see if these two guys can get this under control. A reasonable officer will hear the words that the suspect is saying. I'm a good guy, I'm a good guy, I'm a good guy, I'm claustrophobic. And he's going to compare those words to the actions of the individual. right? Because this is part of the analysis. Because I can say, I'm going to cooperate with you, I'm going to do whatever I want. 
But if my behavior is inconsistent with what I am saying, a reasonable officer takes that into consideration. In fact, a reasonable officer who's aware of his department policies knows the de-escalation policy that is in place. And part of what a reasonable officer has to do is to consider whether a subject's lack of compliance is a deliberate attempt to resist or an inability to comply based on these factors. Medical conditions, mental impairment, developmental disability, physical language, language barrier, influence of drugs or alcohol or behavioral crisis. So an officer, a reasonable officer has to take the information and assess, is this suspect purposefully or intentionally deliberately trying to thwart our efforts to take him into custody? Or are they experiencing one of these other uh, types of factors? But such consideration when time and circumstances reasonably permit shall then be balanced against the incident facts when deciding which tactical options are the most appropriate to resolve the situation safely. So again, reasonable officer, based on the totality of these circumstances, is going to take all of this information in, all of these policies, all of these training ends, and a reasonable officer at that point would conclude that the amount of force that was being used by officers King and Lane was insufficient, it was not enough use of force to overpower Mr. Floyd's resistance to getting into the car. He's seen it, he's heard it, he's familiar with the policies. And so, at precisely 8, 18, and 15 seconds, Officer Chauvin goes hands-on. Officer King, Officer Lane, and Officer Chauvin struggled, fought, however you, whatever adjective you want to use, they struggled with Mr. Floyd from 8.18 till 8.19 and 12 seconds. About a minute, a little over a minute. It doesn't really seem that it's that long of a time, but again, the amount of physical exertion. Remember how Jody Steiger, Sergeant Jody Steiger, described this. When the apparent attempts to get him into custody were futile. I wrote his quote down. The futility of their efforts became apparent. They weren't able to get him into the car. Three Minneapolis police officers were not able to get Mr. Floyd into the car. They themselves are experiencing that, that surge of adrenaline. A reasonable police officer will be experiencing that surge of, of adrenaline. And again, balancing all of the evidence against each other, right? Let's look at three different angles of this struggle. This is Officer King's body camera. <laughs>
of the same time period from Officer Lane. Closing argument in the Officer Eric Chauvin trial now. This is the defense. You have attorney Eric Fisher and they're trying to show when Officer Chauvin showed up on the scene. So it's uh, very dramatic right now. It is uh, Monday. It is 123. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. The prosecution went this morning. Prosecution also, they get a chance to actually come back and combat some of the things that the defense happens to be saying. But uh, this is some of the video. Now, this morning also, the prosecution kind of unveiled some newer photos that uh, previously had not been seen of of George Floyd that showed some of uh, bruising on his fingers and also uh, the side of his head as well. So the prosecution had a big morning with their closing arguments. Now, after we are still in the middle of defense is uh, putting on their closing argument underway, Derek Chauvin murder trial of George Floyd. Then the prosecution will get a chance to get up and rebut what the defense says. Uh, what they're showing right now is when the officers were struggling with Floyd into the cruiser and then when they're uh, laying him on the ground. I'm going to come back when we have the officer, excuse me, the attorney, uh, Eric Nelson, come back as he's addressing the jury. Now, this is going on right now. Out in Minneapolis, as we're, uh, and really the nation folks in world. All right, here's the um, attorney again. The intensity of the struggle. You can see at points when Mr. Floyd's legs kick back, it actually almost knocks Officer Lane over. It knocks off the body-worn camera and the badge of Officer Chauvin in this struggle. A reasonable police officer would understand this situation, that Mr. Floyd was over, able to overcome the efforts of three police officers while handcuffed with his legs and his body strength. A reasonable police officer standard can be seen in another way from the milestone camera. And this is what caught the attention of the 911 dispatcher, Jenna Scurry. She said she observed the struggle and the vehicle rocking back and forth, back and forth. Watch the vehicle. Looks again at 125. Good afternoon. This is John DePietro on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. This is closing arguments. Officer Derek Chauvin 
with the murder of George Floyd. What you're hearing right now, this is defense attorney Eric Nelson doing his closing arguments. Prosecution went this morning, very effective as a matter of fact. And they're showing a lot of footage right now. And this is again in front of the Cup Foods. Now, the jury will remain sequestered until they reach a verdict. And they're going to start deliberating immediately. So the judge, Peter Cahill, has provided instructions ahead of the closing arguments. Prosecutors, as you know, prosecutors rested the case last week. They had 38 witnesses over two weeks. The defense rested on Thursday. So, that, folks, this goes back to, remember, it was Memorial Day, May 25th of last year, when Chauvin pinned his knee against the neck from... Uh, Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes. Right now, they're showing footage where they are taking him out of the car on the street side. So he was in the car, meaning Floyd, George Floyd. He was claustrophobic. And now they're showing the footage. There was a camera across the street. There's already, by the way, a bystander watching the whole thing. And they're showing um, exactly what was happening uh, with him. At that time. So we're going to go back to it in uh, just a moment. But folks, I want to remind you what a great week. Make sure that you want to go by Rhode Island's number one garden center, PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center, 3688 Quaker Lane in North Kingstown. Look for them on Facebook. They do such a tremendous job. It's Rhode Island's number one garden center. And especially now this week, they have beautiful. Uh, hanging impatience bags of that. They have 12 inch potted tomatoes, 12 inch geranium hangers, 12 inch geranium pots, beautiful 14 inch moss baskets, all varieties. It's PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center. They're open seven days a week. It's Steve and Debbie and Junior and Byron. Stop in and see them. They're waiting for you at PR Landscape Materials and Garden Center. I don't want to go back into the courtroom where. The defense attorney now, Eric Nelson, is uh, com- continuing his closing Contract argument for Officer Derek Chauvin. Defensive tactics, crisis intervention, all reasonable. It's at the point that Mr. Floyd is brought to the ground that there becomes dispute about the reasonableness of the use of force and what a reasonable officer would know. It was Seth Stoughton, the law professor, who said at the point Mr. Floyd came out of the car, putting him on the ground was unreasonable. So, was it reasonable for Officer Chauvin or a reasonable police officer to put Mr. Floyd on the ground in that instance? So a reasonable police officer is going to rely on his training and information, his evidence, what he knows, all of the information he's built up to this point. You heard Lieutenant Mercer testify about how about 15 years ago, the Minneapolis Police Department went to ground defense tactics, getting people on the ground to control them, control the head, control the body, different types of moves that that the police use to create and eliminate space. Escape versus control. Those are two different things.
These are the tactics that have been employed by the Minneapolis Police Department for 15 years. Why? Because it's safer for the officers and it's safer for the suspects. It keeps people contained, controlled, and confined until they no longer are resisting. A reasonable police officer would also consider his department's policies, including the use of non-deadly force policy. Force that does not have the reasonable likelihood of causing or creating a substantial risk of death or great bodily harm. This includes, but is not limited to, physically subduing, controlling, capturing, restraining, or physically managing a person. This is the policy, 5-302 of the Minneapolis Police Department, that non-deadly force can be used to physically manage a person. And again, every single person has agreed that the use of force up to this point is reasonable, lawful, and meets the reasonable officer standard. And so we get into the nine minutes and 29 seconds at this point. The state has really focused on the nine minutes and 29 seconds. Nine minutes, 29 seconds. Nine minutes, 29 seconds. It's not the proper analysis because the nine minutes and 29 seconds ignores the previous 16 minutes and 59 seconds. It completely disregards it. It says in that moment, at that point, nothing else that happened before should be taken into consideration by a reasonable police officer. It tries to reframe the issue of what a reasonable police officer would do. A reasonable police officer would, in fact, take into consideration the previous 16 minutes and 59 seconds. Their experience with the subject, the struggle that they had, the comparison of the words to actions, it all comes into play. Why? Because human behavior is unpredictable. Human behavior is unpredictable, and nobody knows it better than a police officer. Someone can be compliant one second and fighting the next. Someone can be fighting and then compliant. Nobody knows it better. But reasonable police officers continue to assess and reevaluate. This is the critical decision-making policy, right, or model. You gather information. You assess the threat versus the risk. Do we have an authority to act? What are our goals and actions? Review and assess. Start over. Because this is not a singular cycle. This is a cycle that humans, as humans, we literally make millions of decisions in a day, right? Do I go this way? Do I go that way? Do I go up? Do I go down? We are constantly doing this. This is just human behavior. But in the policing context, you have to gather the information, assess the risk, assess the threat. Do I have authority to act? What are my goals and actions? Review and assess. And it's constantly rotating. At the precise moment that Mr. Floyd was laid on the ground, a reasonable 
police officer would know about those previous 17 minutes. A reasonable police officer would know about the struggle. He would con- a reasonable police officer would consider the suspect's reactions to the previous use of force. A reasonable police officer would continue this process of reassessment. And a reasonable police officer would consider whether to use an additional force to overcome the suspect's level of resistance, right? So nine minutes and 29 seconds. I appreciate that, I do. Folks, again, this is uh, John DePietro on this Monday. You're listening. This is Closing Arguments in the Office of Derek Chauvin murder trial. The voice you're hearing is the defense attorney, Eric Nelson, who <clears throat> I think is, is trying to make a strong... The prosecution went this morning, and right now they're showing more video of... Uh, to assess the risk and the fact. The first 29 seconds, 20 seconds, continued resistance is what a reasonable police officer would interpret that to be. Jesus Christ, the kicking. A reasonable police officer would consider, should we elevate the use of force as we meet this threat? And that's precisely what these officers did. They discussed using the MRT, the hobble. Folks, again, it's more um, of the video, and it is tough. They're saying where the uh, ambulance is on the way. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show, right now it's one thirty-six on this Monday. And they're showing more of the footage of George Floyd, that fateful encounter, last Memorial Day. Should we use the hobble? Should we elevate our use of force? A reasonable officer would continue to evaluate whether the suspect is under the influence. Precisely what these officers did in nine minutes, in this nine minutes and 29 seconds. I think this is where they're saying to him, what are you on? It turned out he had taken two parts of Percocets and was on fentanyl. officers discuss the scene. The first clip, they're talking about the two other people that are over at the car, right? What's going on here? What are we dealing with? Is this person under the influence of a controlled substance? These are the actions of a reasonable police officer. A reasonable police officer would rely on his training and experience. Call EMS. Possibility that a suspect who was struggling with us will begin to struggle again. You've heard this testimony from multiple police officers. The risk that the suspect would present to himself if he's not continued to be controlled. 
and the risk that the suspect presents to other officers or citizens if not continued to be controlled, if he's not continued to be controlled, right? These are things that all of the police officers have testified about. These are what a reasonable police officer should do. A reasonable police officer in this situation would call EMS. 2020-11, Within a minute of the struggle, EMS code two for a mouth injury, right? Because they are not observing life-threatening, a reasonable officer is not observing life-threatening injuries at this point. They just fought with the man for a minute. He continued to kick at them when they got him on the ground. They see he's got a mouth injury, we need EMS. So a reasonable police officer would evaluate the injuries of the suspect, compare words and actions, and respond by calling EMS, non-emergency. But again, reasonable police officers evaluate, reevaluate. 2021, 8:21, one minute and 24 seconds later. We need EMS here faster. Code three, 3:30. We need them here faster. police officer would take into consideration the anticipated time of a emergent response. You heard from Genevieve Hansen, there's a firehouse a few blocks away, and she would have expected EMS to be there within minutes, three minutes is what she said. A reasonable police officer based on his training and experience is going to have and take that into consideration. I put this person in a prone position on the ground, I'm holding them for my safety and their safety. I'm expecting someone to be here within three minutes to help this person. I have called for that help. A reasonable police officer will take into consideration, again, his training, his experience, right? Lieutenant Mercil talked about, and, and many people talked about, many of the officers talked about how it is not uncommon for suspects to feign or pretend to have a medical emergency to avoid being arrested. Unfortunately, that is the reality. Nobody likes to get arrested, and reasonable police officers know that. How many times does someone, oh, my heart hurts, or I'm having a medical emergency, insert whatever emergency, right? Simply because they don't want to go to jail. A reasonable police officer will take his training into, into experience. And you heard Lieutenant Mercil specifically say that when someone says that they can't breathe, but they are talking, if they're talking, it means they're breathing, right? If they're talking, it means they're breathing. And again, compare that to the testimony of Dr. Tobin, who told you that same thing. That is true. If you are talking, you are breathing. It doesn't mean effectively. And Dr. Tobin described how even medical doctors have problems sometimes. 
assessing the, the legitimacy of a patient's needs relevant to their respiratory processes because they're saying, I can't breathe, and some doctors confuse it for just anxiety or this or that. So if medical doctors make these mistakes, Dr. Tobin told you it provides a false sense of security, right? Lieutenant Mercer told you that that is what is said among police officers. He's the trainer. So how many times do we hear an officer say, based on his training and experience, if you can breathe, you can talk. If you can talk, you can breathe. Excuse me. I counted seven. Now, folks, again, good afternoon. It's John DePietro. It's 142 on this Monday. You're listening to Closing Arguments. This is uh, in the Dare Office. So Derek Chauvin trial of uh, George Floyd, and it's going on live right now in this Minneapolis courtroom. And the voice you're hearing, that is Eric Nelson, the defense attorney for Officer Derek Chauvin, seems to be doing a very good job. Folks, this portion of the program, again, is brought to you by, go to the website, topetro.com, and you'll see, do you need a handyman? Jay Freitas Construction. He also does deck staining. So right now on this Monday afternoon, it's Monday, it's 143 on this Monday, April 19th. And maybe you've been saying, you know, maybe you need your deck stained or maybe you need a handyman. Well, contact Jamie at 837-4545, 837-4545. But there's a direct link right through the website, which is petro.com. He also does, by the way, interior painting, exterior painting. You need a handyman. Contact Jamie today. You can also look for him on Facebook. And again, it's a direct link through the website to petro.com. It's Jay Freitas Construction. Let's go back into the courtroom now. This is defense attorney Eric Nelson in the closing arguments, Officer Derek Chauvin. Now, folks, we're going to dip in and out a little bit. Uh, it's obviously very dramatic tape. In, in many ways, the entire trial has really revolved around that tape. And um, I also want to remind you, all right, let's go back to uh, the courtroom. Oh, hold on, folks. I apologize. Okay. So you heard one officer say, roll him on his side. And Chauvin says, no, just stay put right now. Now they're arguing he expected the ambulance excited or delirium or whatever. would be there That's within minutes. That's we have EMS coming. It's not just leave him here. It's we have EMS coming. And this is why we have EMS coming. Reasonable police officers throughout the course of a control technique will continue to assess the level of resistance. Remember what Sergeant, excuse me, Lieutenant Johnny Mercer said. Simply because a person isn't kicking at you or punching at you or biting at you, it does not mean that you can't control them physically with your body weight. This is at 8.24. 
Now, folks, this is where, again, good afternoon. It's Sean DePietro, and we're going to dip in and out. I want to um, <coughs> just be careful with some of the live tape that they're playing, uh, simply because just some of the, the, the language that's on it. But um, I want to go back where the attorney now. But it's not, we're not analyzing the use of force from the perspective of a doctor with 46 years of medical experience who had 150 hours of time to watch an event from multiple perspectives over and over and over and over again. It's a reasonable police officer standard. How would a reasonable police officer interpret this? Does a reasonable police officer even know what an anoxic seizure is? A reasonable police officer will interpret this as at least some form of minimal resistance. Reasonable police officers, again, are continuing to monitor. They're expecting EMS to arrive. Folks, again, um, they're playing more video again of uh, Floyd and Chauvin at the scene as the crowd is uh, yelling. Hey, I want to remind you that uh, right now it's 147 and it's John DePietro. Now, the nation is basically on edge waiting for uh, the jury's going to start deliberating on this later today. I want to remind you, if you're ever in an accident, I want you, I encourage you and implore you to pick up the phone and call West Fountain Auto Body at 272-3340. Now, at 148 on this Monday, maybe someone you know, family member, maybe you yourself, if you were in an accident, vehicle was damaged over the weekend, call West Fountain Auto Body, 401-272-3340. Kenny will repair your vehicle to showroom-like condition. They're located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. It's West Fountain Auto Body. Call them today. At 272-3340, 272-3340 West Fountain Auto Body. And remember, they're going to work for you, not the insurance company. So maybe a family member or yourself, if you can hear my voice right now, and if you know someone who their vehicle was damaged in an auto accident, I'm not saying it was your fault, but you need to get it repaired. Call West Fountain Auto Body right now, 401-272-3340, located 400 West Fountain Street, Providence. It's West Fountain Auto Body. Let's go back inside the courtroom, and this is defense attorney Eric Nelson with his closing arguments in the officer Chauvin trial. The people that gather to watch what police do. Reasonable police officers are cognizant of and aware of their surroundings. And before I really kind of start talking about the crowd in uh, some limited detail, I have thought a lot during the course of this trial about the difference between perspective and perception. Perspective and perception are two distinct concepts. Perspective is the angle at which you see something. It's your perspective. Perception is how you interpret what it is that you see. 
I thought about this a lot during the course of this trial because this uh, situation here in the courtroom is incredibly unique, right? It's not the normal setup for a jury trial. So my perspective through the course of this trial, sitting in this chair, is that I cannot see four of the jurors. Very limited opportunity to observe the jurors. They probably can't see me either. Several of the jurors I have a very good view of. Four of the jurors I don't, and obstructed views of others. My perspective sitting in this chair when witnesses, there's a camera blocking the head. So in order for me to see the witness, I have to roll all the way over to the other side. Then I have to look through the plexiglass that has these large reflecting lights. Things block your perspective. Things can affect your perspective. But your perception is how you interpret what it is you see and what it is you experience. And that is our life, right? This is our experiences. These are the things that make us who we are. Three people in this trial went to the same high school. Me, Darnella Frazier, and Chief Arredondo. We all went to the same high school, obviously at different times. My experience, Chief Arredondo's experience, Darnella Frazier's experience, all based on We had the same perspective, sat in the same classrooms, saw the same chalkboards or whiteboards, the same perspective. But our perception of our experiences there is going to be much different. Ultimately, at the end of the case, when we're done with these arguments, the court will instruct you on how to deal with these biases and the perception issues. The court's final instructions will guide you to try to recognize your biases, recognize them, what we bring to the table, and analyze the evidence from the perspective of the evidence itself. So let's look at this incident on May 25th from the perspectives and perceptions of simply just four of the bystanders. Right? Charles McMillan, 61 years old, third grade in education, Grew up in the South. He described himself as a curious guy. He likes to know what's going on in his neighborhood. So he stops and he checks things out, right? His perspective, he's the first one who's dealing with these guys. He has more information because he sees the entirety of the situation. But his perception of the event is affected by his life's experiences. At the end of the night, ultimately what he said to Officer Chauvin was, I hope you get home safely, because that's what he says to police officers every night. Okay, folks, good afternoon at 1.53. It's John DePietro, and you're listening. This is live, folks, closing arguments underway. This is the defense now in the officer Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd. So this is uh, happening. The voice you hear is that of attorney Eric Nelson, the attorney for Derek Chauvin. Uh, the jury will begin deliberating this afternoon. Let's go back into the courtroom. George Floyd. 
Her response was to pull out the cell phone and start recording, and then subsequently upload it to Facebook, right? Her perception of the event and her perspective of the event. She's looking. She didn't even know that officers Lane and King were there because her perspective was blocked by the squad car. But her perception, her response to the situation was to record it, and that's perfectly fine. She began her recording at 8, 20, and 51 seconds. Donald Williams, he's a 33-year-old professional mixed martial artist who arrived at 8, 22, and 39. He spent the day fishing with his son, stopping for a drink when he became aware of the incident. He described his view of this based upon his perception as a mixed martial artist, right? He has a set of experiences that caused him to react in a different way. What he perceived was happening was that Mr. Floyd was being choked with a blood choke. I think we're past this at this point. The paramedic reached in, touched the carotid artery. To have a person rendered unconscious through a choke requires the blockage of both carotid arteries. This was not a neck restraint. This was not a chokehold. He was upset. And that, again, is okay because his perception affected what he was seeing. Genevieve Hansen, right? 27-year-old female firefighter for the city of Minneapolis. She testified that when she walked into the scene, she described the crowd as upset. She said, I walked into an upset crowd. She said that the other voices distracted me from getting the officer's attention. And she testified, again, based on her perspective, that Officer Chauvin appeared to have his hand in his pocket. She observed what she believed to be blood on the, uh, from Mr. Floyd's face being pressed into the pavement. She observed fluid coming from Mr. Floyd's body that she presumed to be urine. She testified that nobody ever told her that EMS or an ambulance was on the way. She asked about, when I asked her about the response time she would have expected, three minutes. When I told her that paramedics had been called about five minutes prior to her arriving on scene, no way, because her perception is three minutes. But when you look at the things that Ms. Hansen saw, whether it be from her perspective or her perception, there can always be more to the story. The blood coming from Mr. Floyd's nose was why they called EMS in the first place. You've seen the pictures. Injured his nose during the struggle or his face during the struggle in the squad car. The fluid that she described as potentially being urine, we know that that's fluid coming from the underside carriage of the squad car. Officer Chauvin specifically told her an ambulance was coming when she first came on scene. Come over here. 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 Come over here.
Folks, again, right now at uh, 158, it's John DePietro. This is the closing argument, the defense. Officer Derek Chauvin, trial, listening to it live. So Genevieve Hansen has a perspective and a perception. And what she observed was not consistent with the actual evidence. But remember, we don't look at this incident from the perspective of a bystander. We do not look at this incident from the perspective of the people who were upset by it. We look at it from the perspective of a reasonable police officer. A reasonable police officer, when confronted with these bystanders, would know everything that had occurred up to that point. 20 minutes, 25 minutes. 30 minutes. They know all of that information. The bystanders do not. A reasonable police officer would understand that his actions were actually being recorded. Take the bystanders out of it. All right, again, folks, good afternoon. It's uh, it's John DiPietro on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You've been listening to closing arguments. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to have the 2 o'clock news coming up. And then the John Dion program. I'm going to be back tomorrow at 11 o'clock. The jury is expected to begin deliberating this afternoon. And then we're going to have to see what the reaction is. We're going to wait. We don't know how long they're going to be out. We're not sure what the verdict is going to be. Uh, but the White House, everyone seemingly is very concerned at the possibility there could be violence following this verdict. So, again, enjoy this, uh, this Monday. We're back tomorrow at 11. Stay tuned for the 2 o'clock news and then the John Dion program. Have a good WNRI Woonsocket, 1380 AM, 99.9 FM, W260DC.